Welcome to the Pikes Peak Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Well, if you're a guest today, I welcome you to Pikes Peak Christian Church. We're so glad that you're here every weekend. Our desire is to experience God, hear His voice, and say yes to Him. Whatever God's speaking to you, because we do believe God has not just spoken in the past, He speaks currently, He even speaks uh, in the service today. Maybe you've already heard God speak, but if not already, maybe He will during the message. And I believe if we open our hearts to Him, invite Him to do that, God does. It's a subtle voice, sometimes a prompting by the Holy Spirit inside of us that moves us in a direction of obedience to Him. And that's really the place of blessing in our lives. We're in a series called I Disciple. And if you've got a bulletin, you just flip it to the back side. You might want to jot some things down. If you're new here, this is the fourth part of a four-part series. So if you want to catch the first three parts, you can go online to do that. But the reason for this series is, in our culture, um, we don't use the word disciple very much. We use the word Christian to define a follower of Jesus. But the problem with that is there are a lot of people who call themselves Christians who don't really follow Jesus or do the things that Jesus says. And here's the truth. Jesus never once called anybody a Christian. Never once. In fact, in the, in the last commission Jesus gave called the Great Commission, he told us to go and make disciples of all nations. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus and helps other people to follow Jesus. It's a noun, tells who I am, I'm a disciple, but it also tells me what I do. It's a verb, I disciple, I help other people to follow Jesus. And so we've looked at the traits, kind of the core traits of a disciple, and inside the church, we call these the four L's, and if you've been through the membership class, you've heard these, and they're very simply these four things. Number one, the lordship of Christ, that Jesus is the authority figure in my life. He does not just save me from sin. He rules over my life. He's the king that he desires to be. Secondly, we live the word. The Bible is called the word of God. We seek to know the scriptures and to live out the scriptures, so our desire is to to live the word. Jesus supported his word. He speaks through his word. And he changes our lives through his word. Last week, we talked about loving relationships. And that as followers of Jesus, the closer you get to Jesus, your heart becomes bigger, filled with love for people. It starts with your family, but it goes beyond just your family. To strangers, to people that are in need, people that are suffering, people that are hurting. To even people that you would call your enemies. That, that it's only God that could give us the kind of love that would love someone that's not very lovable. But that comes through the grace of the Lord. And, and then to love the people that are far from God, people we've never met, people live in faraway places, out in the bush in, in Africa or, or up in corners of China, that, that God loves the whole world. And the closer you get to the Lord, you find yourself loving the whole world. Well, today we're looking at the fourth sign of a disciple, and it's the legacy of service. You and I have an opportunity to leave a fingerprint on this earth. Someday we will die and we'll be gone, and future generations will wonder, what was our purpose on earth? Why did we take a space and breathe and use resources for if not to make a difference, to make the world better for someone else? And God desires that we have a legacy. Now, in Colorado Springs, a legacy is pretty significant. This, I've never lived in a place that um, had such significant people like um, Winfred Stratton or Winfield Stratton. Winfield Stratton made his money in gold Near the current town of Victor, he became a philanthropist, donated land for City Hall and for a post office. He's probably best known for the Myron Stratton home, which helps the aged and dependent children uh, at a time of need. You may know a man named William Palmer. If you've been in Colorado Springs very long, there's a statue downtown of him. He gave land grants to the Union Printer's Home, to the Colorado School for the Deaf and the Blind, created a, a tuberculosis sanitarium, which eventually became um, the campus of UCCS. He built Glen Erie as a home for his family, which now is the residence of the Navigator's Ministry. 
he built the Antlers Hotel, which was a world-class hotel at the time, inviting people from all over the world to come and enjoy this kind of resort area called Colorado Springs. Another man named Spencer Penrose helped finance the Cheyenne Mountain Zoo, the Pikes Peak Highway, and the Penrose St. Francis Health System. All over this community, even where we live, there are streets, schools, firehouses, ball fields that bear the name of someone who's had a significant place in this society. And you and I probably aren't going to have a street named after us. We probably aren't going to have a statue built for us. But my question is, what will be your legacy? What will people remember you for? When, you look at, when I look at Jesus, there's not a statue for Jesus. There's a symbol for Jesus, and it's a cross. And the cross epitomizes the attitude of Jesus. Here's what Jesus um, said. He said, The greatest among you will be your servant. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves, he goes on to say, will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The greatest. That's what Jesus said. Now, what did Jesus do? Well, Philippians 2 tells us what he did. It says he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of, get this, a servant. And because of that, God exalted him to the highest place. Here's where I think we get it wrong sometimes in the church. We teach people that, that you get saved so that you can survive and one day go to heaven. You're saved to survive. And the, and the problem with that is it becomes um, kind of escapist. If I can just get through the world, if I can just put up with stuff long enough, my ultimate destination is there, this place called heaven. But God's goal is not just to get you someplace. God's goal is to make you someone. And that someone is a servant. We're not saved just to survive. We're saved to serve. We don't withdraw from the world when we become Christians. We don't disengage. In fact, it's the love of Christ that motivates us to get engaged with the world, to make a difference, to become a servant. And Jesus was great because of being a servant. And you know, I I looked through the, the Bible and I just did a word search for servant and it's so amazing that virtually every single Bible hero, this person that we would elevate as man, a great follower of the Lord, identified themselves or people identified that person as a servant. From David, who was a great king, to Moses, who was really the great prophet, um, to Mary when the angel came and said, you are going to have, have, have a child within you and that child's going to be called Jesus who will save the world from their sins. And, and when Mary was given that message by the angel, she said, I am the Lord's servant. You read through the New Testament, most of the letters of the New Testament begin with the writer saying something like, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. James, a servant of Jesus Christ. John, servant of Jesus Christ. Jude, servant of Jesus Christ. They are servants. In fact, I love this phrase when Paul describes himself in the focus of his ministry in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves you know who we are? We're, your, we're servants for Jesus' sake. We're your servants for Jesus' sake. I've even thought one time that maybe we should just change all of our staff titles to simply not senior pastor, not worship pastor, not student pastor, next-gen pastor, just servant of Jesus Christ. Because really, that's the title we all ought to wear because God's forming us to be servants. As followers of Christ, we are his voice, his feet, and his hands on this earth through which he does his work. And your legacy and my legacy will be established by how we use what he's given us in service to others. God has given each one of us different things that we use in service. And so our legacy is going to be formed and shaped 
by how we use those things for him. And that's what I want to spend the rest of the message on, looking at those things that I think God uniquely gives to you and to me, and then to leverage them in the greatest way possible in service to other people so that God is glorified. So I'm going to pray that prayer today. Father, convict us again. Inspire us again to be servants of others and a servant of you so that your name would be glorified, Father. We know one day we're going to get to be in heaven, but until that day, Lord, use us as your servants. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, there are four things that God gives to us, and I want to cover each of those four uh, briefly this morning. Number one is our time. And in order to use that well as servants, we need to focus our time. You know, the older I get, the more I realize how precious time is. The more the body starts to ache, the more I look in the rearview mirror and and look at the time that's gone by, the more I get a message on Facebook saying another classmate of mine has passed away, I start to realize, you know, I'm on the other side of the hill. And I'm starting to go down, and and the clock is now ticking. It seems like faster and faster and faster. And I want to make the most of the time that's before me. And that's why we create sometimes a bucket list, things we want to do before we kick the bucket. You know, what are the things we want to accomplish? And so time takes on this sense of urgency. Now, I don't know how many days you have left. I hope many. But I do know this. Every one of us has been given 24 hours today. It's almost as if God has put 1,440 minutes in your bank account, called the time, and says, okay, you get to spend them today however you want. Here's the sad thing. By the time you get out and eat your breakfast, take your shower, get ready for the day, you've already spent one-third of those. It's already gone. Can't get them back. They're just gone. And so the rest of the day, we get to choose. Like, I want to I spend some time having lunch with some friends or family, and I want to go to the gym, and I want to watch a basketball game, and I want to go for a hike, and those are all expenditures of those 1,440 minutes that we get every day. It's, it's time that we have. As you get older, you start to realize that time is truly a lot like money. In fact, you know what work is? Work is the exchange of time for money. I'll give you eight hours of my day for a paycheck so I can have money because I need to buy groceries and pay the utility bills and all that. But there comes a point in time as you get older that you realize, I don't want more money. I want more time. And so you retire because you want to take advantage of that time while you still have the ability to do so. You want to maximize time. Time is so critical. But here's the difference between time and money. Remember those uh, 1,440 minutes you get every morning when you get up? Now, picture every minute like a dollar bill. And so you're sitting in church, and every minute as a sermon ticks by, you're putting a dollar bill down. You go, Pastor, you're costing us a lot of money today. You know? You're putting a dollar bill down. You, 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 you get in the car and you drive, you're putting dollar bills down. You go home and eat, you're putting dollar bills down. You, you watch some meaningless TV show, you're putting dollar bills down. You can decide, oh, I'm just going to kill some time. You know what? You're, you're spending your time to kill it. Because here's the truth. Everything costs the same. It doesn't matter where you spend a minute. It's a minute. It's gone. You can never get it back. And that's the difference between time and money. You can put money in the bank to spend later. You cannot do that with time. You, you cannot put time and say, you know, one day I'm going to save all this time and I'm going to get to do all these things. Because what you find out is that time is gone. In fact, I would say that the greatest regrets people ever have are related to their use of time. You know, so often um, we get frustrated 
When we look back at how we squandered time. That's why we're told in the book of Ephesians chapter 5 some great advice about the wisdom to use. It says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. You only have so much time. Make it count. You know, when I write in my prayer journal, often one of my biggest frustrations is related to time. I'm so frustrated with myself that I'm not disciplined enough. Because, you know, I want to have a quiet time with the Lord every day. I want to exercise. I want to spend time with my family and friends. I want to do all these different things in my life and manage my home responsibilities and all my relationships and all these things. And I'm constantly burdened by this guilt of I'm not doing enough. If I could just be more disciplined, if I could just really corral these things and turn this off and stop doing this, if I could be more disciplined, I could be more successful. And then last fall, I read a book that just opened my eyes to something that I missed all along. It's a book by a guy named Gary Keller who's in real estate, and it's called The One Thing. And in that book, he says, successful people are not successful because of their self-discipline. I said, I'm real interested in this. He said, the key is not self-discipline, it's focus. It's focus. It's not making sure you do everything. It's making sure you do the one thing that will have the greatest impact on everything else. In fact, what it does is, is when you simplify do less things, it amplifies the impact. You get more bang out of the buck because you've actually spent time where it really matters. And we can look at our lives and obviously there are places we spend time that has no difference in anybody's life. I I remember watching TV many nights. I'll sit in a chair and, and that remote in my hand and I start scanning or I've got my finger on my iPad. I'm looking at stuff online and one thing leads to another and you find yourself just Man, I just, I just ate up an hour playing a stupid game. And, and it is so easy to get trapped into time wasters. Make the most of every opportunity. We want people focused with their time, don't we? I mean, if you go get your hair cut, don't you want a, a beautician or barber focused and not, not watching a, a big game on the TV while they're snipping your hair, Right? If you're going to see your, your child's teacher at school that talk about a behavior issue, don't you want focus from that teacher? If you're on a, a first date with that cute guy or girl, don't you want some focus? Yeah, we want focus. If you're getting a surgery done, don't you want that person to be focused? Absolutely. I'm having a procedure done in a couple of weeks called an endoscopy. They, they, they put a camera down your throat to check it out, and I've had a little bit of an issue with some since they're going to do that in a couple weeks. And I get a phone call from this lady. She says, uh, Mr. Rondi, I need to set up your, your colonoscopy. And I said, I didn't know that's what endoscopy meant. If that's a new word, I'm really learning, or it's a new approach. I thought they went in this way, but we need to, we need to make sure that she's, she's doing the right thing. So I said, ma'am, would you read your doctor's orders again to make sure you're asking for the right thing? And she read it over, and she goes, oh, I'm so sorry. It's not a colonoscopy. It's an endoscopy. And I says, whew. Says, <laughs> says, that makes me very happy. Yes, let's get that scheduled right away. We want focus, right? I, I look at how we spend time, and you know what? I, I wish sometimes as parents we would, we would put the computer away Facebook and Pinterest can wait. You've got a little boy or girl waiting to see mom and dad. And so often the time we give them is not focused time, it's splintered time. And we need to stop that. Many of us who are married need to say, I've got to turn that TV off. 
Because I'm getting so used to the side of your head, I don't know what your eyes look like anymore. Right? <laughs> Ask yourself, where's the, where, where could I make an investment of time that really would make a lot of things in my life, in my relationships, in my health, a lot of things in my life better and focus my time. That's being a good servant, a good steward of time. A second area of our lives are to employ my talents. God gives each believer a set of talents, skills and abilities for spiritual impact. Some of you know what yours are, and some of you don't. Some of you do know what they are, and they're underutilized. But here's what the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. The assumption is you have a gift. God's given it. Use it. How? To serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do it as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things, God may be praised through Christ Jesus. He said that you serve with these things called gifts, spiritual gifts. They're they're God-given abilities that he empowers for spiritual impact. And sometimes they're upfront gifts like speaking, or sometimes they're behind-the-scenes gifts that are just kind of uh, serving anonymously, serving behind the scenes. But both are very important. But here's the truth about both of them. He says, if, if you speak, know that you are speaking the words of God. You're representing God. So, so take it seriously. He says, if you're serving, you're doing it with the power, strength, God provides. Notice this, that when you serve, God partners with you to, to make that impactful. That's what makes it spiritual. Because God is working through these gifts to be a blessing to other people. You have a spiritual gift. What is it? What is it? And are you using it to serve other people? There is a pleasure in using spiritual gifts. Obviously, when you are working in the areas in which God has gifted you, there's a, there's a reward, a feeling of satisfaction that you carry as you serve. But I have to be honest, that is not the primary purpose of spiritual gifts. It's different than the other gifts you receive. See, at Christmas time, all of us have gotten gifts from people over the course of time where we said, you know what, I don't know if I'm ever going to use that gift. You know, um, that tie, that shirt, that blouse, thank you, but it's still sitting on my, uh, I'm in my closet or it's hanging up and I'm really never going to wear that. Some of you have a book someone gave you to read thinking you'd really be blessed by this book and you go, I'm never going to read that book. Uh, Some of you, some of you have gift cards to places that says, I never go to that place. Why'd they give me this gift card? And so you've got gifts that you'll never, ever use. And, and nobody's, nobody really suffers for that. I mean, it's disappointing, but nobody, nobody really suffers. But I'll tell you this. When you don't use your spiritual gifts, somebody loses. Somebody's not prayed for in their time of need. Someone does not receive encouragement in their, in their, in their time of, of despair. Someone doesn't receive the physical assistance they need at that moment. Some child's not taught because there's no one there to teach them. Do you know we've actually had people come to this church, walk in, go over to our children's area, and turn around with their kids and walk out the building? You know why? Because there were not enough teachers in the classrooms for their kids. it's It's like showing up to the doctor's office and you have a need and someone says, well, we don't have any doctors in this place. They don't, want, they don't want to serve today. You go, but I have a need. I know, but they don't want to serve. And that's what happens when, when we 
refuse to use those gifts. I don't want to greet. I don't, I don't want to rock babies. I don't want to help in the parking lot or the landscaping. And I'm not going to use it. Somebody loses. The person to be served loses. And you know who else loses? God loses. Because he's not glorified. People don't walk out of church when needs aren't met saying, well, thank God for that. They, they go with questions like, where is God in my time of need? And you, to be honest, there's no personal satisfaction in not using your gifts. I really believe, and this is my own experience, some of the greatest satisfaction you'll ever have in your Christian life is being used by God in service to other people. And I think all across this room, there'll be people who'll be nodding their heads with me saying, amen, pastor. It's a thrill to be used by God in the areas of our giftedness. The other night I was at a big box store and I was looking down an aisle for someone to help me find something in the plumbing area. And you know, it feels like hide and seek when I go to these stores. Like, okay, where's, where's someone with the little orange, you know, apron on and they're not there and, and they're not there. Come on, where are you? You're hiding somewhere. I need you. And then I find them all clustered over on, on the, in the paint department or they're up at the cash register and I think, come on guys, you're paid to serve. That's why people love Chick-fil-A. You turn around and, yeah, you can refresh my cup. Thank you so much. You know, yeah, you can take these, these uh, trays and stuff. Take them. Thank you. Thank you. Because they have an attitude of, of servanthood. There's a, a lady in our church. Uh, last summer, we started a new program called Route 56. A program for fifth and sixth grade. Not, not the kind of age group that people go, oh, yeah, fifth and sixth graders. But this lady said, I want to be part of that. And so Kelly is her name. Kelly volunteered and she started meeting with these kids and had a small group of girls that became her small group of girls. And over the course of of many, many months, they grew really close. In fact, she just loves to come on Sunday morning and spend time with the girls. Uh, She should be upstairs with them right now. Well, last month, a bunch of these fifth and sixth graders went to a conference in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And at the conference, one of the girls happened to be picked to go up on stage and she got to share what she likes best about church and she said, Kelly Di Coronado, her teacher. You know what's so impressive about that? As I know that, that girl loves her parents, but she was saying, here is someone that has voluntarily involved themselves in my life, and it has touched me in a deep way. When you volunteer to be a blessing in someone else's life, you don't get paid to do it. You don't have to do it. You don't have to because you're family. You just do it because you want to do it because of the love of Christ kind of overflowing in your life. It has a powerful impact. It'll change people forever. And I want you to have that experience. I want you to have the thrill of being used by God. I, I, I don't, I don't want to shame you into, uh, you know, you better be using your gifts. I, I want to give you those opportunities to use those gifts and encourage you. You're missing out on a a wonderful blessing by not using them. How do you begin to find your spiritual gifts? If you don't know what your spiritual gift is or your your set of gifts, simply adopt the position of a servant. And when God presents needs, say, God, I'm available. Use me. However you want to, use me. Here's what I found. When you start availing yourself to the Lord in areas of need, he starts to redirect you. And over the course of time, other doors open up. People see what you're doing. Say, hey, you're really good at this. Would you do this as well? And eventually you find yourself saying, now I know where my sweet spot is. But it all began with my desire simply to be a servant. Employ your talents in service. Thirdly, invest my treasure. We've all been given resources by God, material possessions, money, things to use. And all of it belongs to the Lord, the Bible says. In fact, there's only one thing on planet Earth that doesn't belong to the Lord, and that is the human heart. It has to be surrendered back to the Lord. 
But here's the truth. When you surrender your heart back to the Lord, it'll show in how you invest your possessions because Jesus said, here's how you know where a person's heart is. Where their treasure is, there their heart is also. And so when you invest in the things that advance the kingdom of God, God says, I know your heart's in the things my heart's in, into because you're investing wisely. Jesus told a, a story, and he's got a, a, a couple stories that are very similar, but this one's called um, the parable of the ten minas. And it says in Luke chapter 19, while they were listening um, to this, Jesus began this, this parable. He said, a man of noble birth went up to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. And then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied, because you've been trustworthy in a very small matter. Take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. The master answered, You take charge of five cities. And then another servant came and said, Sir, here's your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his mina away from him, give it to the one who has ten minas. I love the fact that in many of Jesus' parables, there is an authority figure, king, a master, someone, and there are servants. And those servants are likened to followers of Jesus, his disciples, us. And so he says, I've given you all of these resources and I've given you an assignment, how to use them, because they're mine. So you, you invest them wisely for me and the man who has 10 um, doubles it and, and the king's thrilled with it. And the one with five doubles it and the king's thrilled with that. But the one who takes the one and says, you know what? Uh, I'm the one doing the work, not you. And I don't feel like working, so I'm just going to tuck it away here. And when you come back, I'll give you back what you gave me. And when the king came back, he didn't only say that was a bad idea. He says, you wicked servant. You wicked. He was pretty ticked off at him because he didn't use what he had been given. He thought it was his rather than his master's. And all the things God gives us, and they're different amounts. We have different paychecks, different size homes, different numbers of cars, all that. It doesn't matter. The, the fact is that God owns it all and says, are, are you making it available to use for my kingdom's purposes? Are you investing in things that are eternal? Every day we spend money on movies and on food and on utility bills and uh, cell phone service and all sorts of things. But you know what? We also have an opportunity to invest money in kingdom things to support a missionary on the field, to, to sponsor a child in a third world country so they have food and education. Some of you in this room gave so that we could have a care center right down below here. And every week that care center ministers to hundreds of people from this community who come in. In fact, a man came to me in the foyer today and said, thank you that I received help down in the care center. That, that's money well invested because it's making a difference in someone's life. So really the bottom line is this. God, you've given me these things. I want to use them as you direct 
so that I can make a lasting impact. When we get to the end of our lives, we're not going to look at how much we spent on the cable bill and, and, and how many ice cream cones we got, but we will look at the, the people that we've invested in that made a difference. When I went to college, there were some farmers in Nebraska and Iowa that gave to a little school in Nebraska that I attended. I received a scholarship, a, a half scholarship to go to that college. And I felt an obligation to honor those, those hard-earned dollars of those farmers to say not only did I get a good education, I'm, I'm in ministry today because you made it possible. And so your giving can make a difference in someone's life for a very, very long time. Jesus said in another parable that whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And we want to be faithful with that which he gives us. So invest our treasure. And then the last one, the last thing that he gives each of us, and you may not have thought of this, but, but you and I have a unique testimony, and we are to share that testimony. A testimony is a story of how you came to know Jesus and what Jesus is doing in your life. It's, it's a story that's very unique to you. It may not be like anybody else's story. It may be very simple. It may not have a lot of drama in it, but it's your story. And your story is powerful. One time, Jesus healed a man born blind. And this man didn't go off to college, didn't know a lot about the Lord, but he did know this. He knew what Jesus had done for him. And so the Pharisees, who really were against Jesus, said, this man, Jesus, is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. They turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. And the man said, he is a prophet. They don't like that answer. So they start to ask the parents, you know, someone went wrong here. This is, this is not a good story. And so they start to interrogate the parents, and the parents say, you need to talk to our son. He was the one that had the miracle. Find out what he says. And so down a little bit later in the story, if we go down to verses 24 and 25, it says a second time they summoned the man who had been born blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man, speaking of Jesus, is a sinner. And here's what the blind man said. Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. That was his testimony. Very simple. Here's who I was. Here's who I am. And the reason why is Jesus. You know, when I was in high school, I was part of a youth group that would travel to different churches and sing songs. And part of the program would be that someone would be asked to share their testimony. Some of my friends shared their testimonies. And, and I began to hear how they came to know Jesus. But what dawned on me was, I don't have a testimony. And I began to, to seek the Lord. And I'm going to share a little bit later about that experience that I had. But every one of us has a testimony. The Apostle Paul, when he went before the Romans, when he went before the Jews, weaved in his story of how he encountered the Lord on the road to Damascus. His story opened up doors because no one can take away your story. You may say, like, I don't know all the answers to the questions in the Bible. I don't know how to explain everything to people. Okay, that's, that's true. But there's one thing you know better than anybody else. It's your story. Your story. Where you were, how you met Jesus, and where you are now because of Jesus. We all have a story to steward. The pathway to being a disciple of Jesus is using all these things for his glory. And you know what's powerful is when we each individually as disciples of Jesus in the church do our part. I'm reminded of a story from the Peanuts 
cartoon? Some of you remember the Peanuts comic strip? And one day, um, Lucy walks in and she sees Linus watching TV. And she demands that he change the channel. And so Linus says, who are you that you can just come in here and take over? And she said, um, it's these five fingers. Individually, they're nothing. But curl them up, bring them together, and they're a terrible force to behold. He says, what channel would you like? But here's the funny part. As Linus walks away, they show him like staring at his hand and he's going like his hands open like this. He's going, why can't you guys get organized? <laughs> you know, I think sometimes the Lord says that about the church. Individually, you're not going to make much of an impact. Come together collectively, you can sock the devil a good one in the jaw. You can make a difference in this world that he's trying to tear apart. You can be an agent of God's healing and blessing in this world if you just get your act together. And so what I want to do is, is just give you a practical application. As you, as you look at how can I steward these things, I want to look at a short period of time between now and Easter and how we as a church can pull together during this Easter season to make it a powerful season not only for you personally but for the church and the people we love and serve in this community. So here are four practical ways. Number one is to, is to, regarding your time, I'm going to ask you to do this. For the next 21 days, starting today, and you can go on our website to do this, and we'll, we'll post these on Facebook too each day, but pray every single day for Easter, and we'll give you a topic and something to pray about as we prepare for Easter, but it'll be a, it'll be a prayer starter that will get you thinking about, God, man, I really want you to work. I want you to work in our lives, my family's life, my community, my church, all these things. I want God to work. Spend a few moments of focused prayer time Secondly, in the area of talent, we've been asking you to attend a service and to serve a service. There are four services, 8, 9, 30, 11, 12, 30 on Easter. This is the one day where non-church people will come to church and we're saying, hey, this isn't about me on Easter Sunday. It's about the message of Jesus. So come, celebrate a service, but then serve a service. Be there as a greeter, as a nusher, as a, as a children's worker. And in your bowl, or, excuse me, on your chair today was a card like this. What I want you to do is take that card out. If you're not already signed up to help in one of those areas, look this over and fill out the information on it and then a circle or check the box in which you can help. Now, it's not real detailed, but it does give the service times when you're saying like, hey, I can help. Some of you might say, I can help for a couple services. We've had people say, I'll attend the early service and I'll serve the rest of the morning. And all we're asking you to do is would you at least serve as part of our team, part of our church family. On your way out today, there'll be baskets in the back, there'll be baskets in the foyer for you to place the card and say, I'm in. I'm going to be one of those fingers that's curled up to do my part on Easter. Then treasure. For the next three weeks, our pastors have been challenging us to to faithfully honor God in our giving. I'm going to ask you to do this. If you never tithe before, and tithe means I give God first 10% of what God gives to me, to say, you know what, for the next three weeks, in light of Easter, in light of the cross, and that he gave his all for me, I'm going to commit these next three weeks to give God the first 10% of what he gives us. Let's see what God does. I have to say thank you to the congregation for we are caught up now to where we're we're on track um, with our giving and budget this year, but we're approaching summer, and we want to get a little bit ahead so as we go into those leaner months that, that, that we're able to do all the ministry that God's put on our hearts to do. Then finally, share your testimony. And here's how you can do that. Out in the lobby, the Welcome Center, are invite cards that, that talk about Easter. There's information on the back with the details about Easter. Take these to your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends at school. Invite them to Easter. But do more than just hand them a card. 
Say something like this that weaves in your own story. You know what? For me, Easter is, is the most significant day of the year because my life was changed because of what happened on an Easter almost 2,000 years ago. And I would just like to invite you to come to my church to share in the joy that we have on Easter morning. Here's the service times. Here's information. I'll even come by and pick you up and bring you to church. Go out of your way to, to touch someone's life. You know, I said that when I was in high school, I was part of a youth group that was sharing their testimony. And I remember one day saying, I don't have a testimony. I don't know what I would say if I got called on. I'd be so embarrassed because I cannot define a time when I actually bowed my knee and said, Jesus, would you be my Lord and Savior? And so one day I went out behind a church building and I had this tearful conversation with God. See, I thought I was a Christian all along, but honestly, I wasn't a disciple. And so I told the Lord this. I said, God, I don't think I'm saved. I cannot identify a time in my life where I surrendered myself to you. But if there is a doubt in your mind, today I surrender to you. Today I ask you to be the forgiver of my sins, the Lord of my life, that you would come in and live and you would do your will and you would change me. And that began a journey of my life that changed me forever. But it started with the moment of coming before the Lord. And some of you would say, Pastor, I'm like that. I, I, I've, I've always gone to church or I've always felt I love God, but I can't identify a moment of time where I bowed my knees. But today we're asking you, make that clear. Don't live in confusion and doubt over that. Make it obvious to the Lord that God, I want there to be no doubt in your mind that I am surrendered to you that you indeed are my Savior and my Lord. Thanks for listening to today's message. Be sure to join us again next time.